from Teaching Magazine, I'm Jo Earp and you're listening to an episode of our series on behaviour management. What bullying policies and procedures are in place at your school? Do they focus on a particular age range? And do you run a specific anti-bullying education programme? My guest today is Dr. Leslie-Anne I, a senior lecturer at the University of South Australia. Leslie-Anne and her UniSA colleague, Professor Barbara Spears, have been working with early childhood teachers to identify problems with bullying in their own school context and co-design tailored education and prevention programmes. In this episode, we'll be discussing early childhood intervention, the participatory design method, and the feedback from the teachers and schools involved. So let's get started. Leslie-Anne, welcome to Teacher. For this research, you worked with 12 early childhood teachers in South Australia. Why was the focus on early childhood? The focus was on early childhood because there's very limited research in early childhood around bullying and also it's quite absent from the curriculum so there, there isn't any um, formal instruction around bullying um, in early childhood and we know that early intervention across all social issues is, is key to prevent bullying and to prevent um, adversity. So the aim was for you as researchers to work with the teachers to co-design and implement a tailored bullying education or a prevention program. So what are the benefits of taking this kind of co-design approach as opposed to say um, giving teachers or schools a program and saying here you go implement this in your school? The benefits are um, when you're working with teachers they, they know the context of the school they know what's occurring in the school and also working with them that gives them a sense of ownership of that so it's not experts coming in and telling them what to do or providing them with a curriculum Um, that may not be beneficial for the learning and education for the children within that context. So working with teachers, um, they bring that expertise and that background knowledge of what is occurring in their schools and what children might need to know to support them in understanding what bullying is. What we found with with the teachers is they were actually really quite excited about doing this because they identified that that was a problem within their school and they didn't have access to any teaching materials Another piece of positive feedback that you got from teachers involved in your study was that they really enjoyed the process. They found it energising and the skills that they learned would be useful, they were saying, when it came to modifying and implementing the programme with new cohorts of students in the future. What do we know about this kind of empowerment and the effectiveness and sustainability of this kind of approach? It it doesn't need to be teachers. Um, Any individuals that are that are co-designing something that are working together they do have that sense of ownership they do have that buy-in um, they do have that empowerment so it's more likely to be effective when they have that buy-in they're more committed to rolling that program out further developing that program and one thing that we found with this research is um, these teachers got results so that was really exciting for them when um, we went back and we re-interviewed the children and we found out that the children had gained you know, extra knowledge in relation to bullying. So the, the program actually worked and the teachers were very excited about that. Uh, the skills that the teachers learned 
in relation to co-designing this program with us and with um, some of their colleagues um, is something that they, they fed back to us that they'd be using in relation to other teaching topics and, and strategies. It's probably important to point out that this was a proof of concept study. Can you explain what that means? Um, the proof of concept is basically an experimental. It's testing out the concept. Uh, it could be called a feasibility study or it could be called a pilot study. Um, it's basically testing the concept that we were using. So in this case, we were using that participatory design um, method to work with teachers to see whether that was going to be an effective method to develop a program in relation to bullying. And we, we did find that um, it was effective. And that's why there were only 12 teachers involved in the study? It is. And it is something that we would like to um, further develop with a larger cohort um, in relation to early childhood. And um, with this proof of concept study, we've, we have identified that it, it can work. So I want to talk about the co-design process that you used. The starting point, and this is the same with considering implementation of any programme, of course, is for teachers to think about their own school and student and community needs. So you wanted teachers to identify the problem of bullying in their own context, why it occurs, um, who it affects and the magnitude of it. And then the aim was to design an intervention and evaluate the impact of that intervention. Well, the, the, the very first thing we did was um, ask teachers to identify the problem. So look at the, what they considered the prevalence of the problem, who it was affecting as far as um, teachers, the school, the children, the parents, the families, um, and who it, who it is uh, impacting on. So we basically got the context of what was occurring in their school um, um, initially. Then we looked at what strategies or policies or things that were in place to try to prevent bully, bullying. So education strategies, policies and procedures to manage bullying incidents, etc. Um, we then presented them with the statistics and the results um, from the interviews that we had done with children so that they could then see what children's current understanding was in relation to bullying. So we um, before we worked with teachers, we interviewed children and we asked children to define what they think bullying is or to tell us what they think bullying is. We're working with early childhood, so we, we weren't using language such as define, but we asked them to, to explain to us what bullying is. We then uh, showed them a series of cartoons that had been developed by experts in Europe to uh, work with children and children had to identify whether the particular scenario in the cartoon uh, was a, a an act of bullying or whether it was not an act of bullying and then explain why. So from the results that we um, obtained from those children, we shared those with the teachers. So teachers had a bit of an understanding of what children currently know um, in relation to bullying. So that's helped to support them in making decisions around what children needed to know. And of course, um, in early childhood, the fact that children hadn't received any formal education, one of the key um, results that come out from that was that children didn't know what bullying was, they didn't know how to define it, and they certainly didn't know the three elements of intention to harm, repetition and power differentials. We basically worked you know, collaboratively with teachers. We were giving them information, they were giving us information, and together we worked out what children um, in their context needed. Um, we then showed them through 
um, the, dis the, the methodology process. So looking at the Hagen participatory design method and what that meant and um, how we would collaborate um, to, to design this program. You mentioned the participatory design method and I'll pop a link to more information about that in the transcript of this podcast. In helping the teachers think about their tailored program and map that out, you gave them a series of cards with topics on and they were asked to select the topics that they considered relevant to their own school context and to sort or rank them into some kind of preferred teaching sequence. So what were some of the topics and strategies that they selected from? Well, uh, Professor Barbara Spears and myself, uh, because we are um, you know, very familiar with the literature on bullying and in, in relation to um, education strategies and what children need to know, um, we basically drew on the literature and presented them with an assortment of topics for them to um, consider relative to the context of, of, of their children and what might be being taught um, across other areas. So, for example, a lot of schools had wellbeing programs in place. So the, the topics that we gave them was um, defining bullying, so um, looking at the three elements of bullying, of repetition, intent to harm and power differentials, uh, defining what is not bullying so that children can identify the differences between bullying or conflict, um, looking at conflict as being a normal part of healthy development, so um, children are aware that nobody goes through life without conflict of some description they, it might be an argument it might be a school schoolyard fight you know there is always conflict and, and it is part of our normal healthy development um, managing conflict so strategies in relation to how children um, can you know brainstorm and think about how to manage conflict appropriately to prevent bullying um, understanding friendship so understanding what friendship is um, understanding diversity, so looking at differences, you know, similarities and differences amongst children. And, and some of the schools that we worked with, with had, you know, very high um, diversity within their school context. Um, Self-regulation, um, resilience, relationship building, team building, help seeking if a child feels like they're being bullied. Also helpful and hurtful bystander behaviour. So this is looking at whether um, bystanders can intervene in a way or distract a bully to, to support the, the child who might be being bullied or to prevent them from being bullied. And also the hurtful bystander behaviour would be children that would be egging the bully on or laughing at the bully or you know giving that sort of positive reinforcement so that the bully keeps on doing that behaviour. And then finally what we can do to stop bullying. So looking at preventative strategies. Um, and I, I do know we also gave um, teachers cards for them to, if, if there was something that they thought they would like to look at that wasn't within our list, um, so that they could also add onto that. And um, quite a few of the schools looked at sort of recapping um, what the, the children had learned. Um, and that was uh, generally the last lesson, obviously. So they set out all the cards on a table and they had a look at what they felt children in their context might need and also the order that they might roll them out in. You also talked to them about existing resources that are out there. Um, so one example would be the Bullying No Way website. And you talked to them about ideas and activities that they might like to do with their own students. They really liked the cartoon methodology that we used with the children. So um, 
several teachers made up their own um, little scenarios that they were using as an educative um, tool to for children to sort the scenarios into bullying and non-bullying scenarios. Um, the, when, when they were actually designing their program and looking at particular activities that they could roll out um, to support children's understanding of each topic, that took probably a couple of hours um, whilst we were there, but they also continued that um, after we had already had left as well. Um, and we, we did this across um, four schools and every school there was there was never a time where it was just one-on-one -on -one researcher and teacher um some schools only had one teacher participating but they, that teacher was also supported by a school counselor and or, or the deputy principal um and there was another um school where they actually had social work students from a university on placement and those social work students also sat in um on those sessions um, so it was always collaborative. There was never just one or two minds. There was always several minds. The largest school, I think we had um, yeah, six to eight teachers, I think, in that school. Um, that was really excited because they hadn't actually worked together as a whole junior primary um, cohort. So teachers in that school, if there were um, you know, grade two teachers would work together in, in their programming or grade one teachers would work together. They hadn't actually ever all got together and worked collaboratively um, in their programming. So, you know, they, they had quite a lot of ideas um, buzzing around between them because there were so many people in that room at the time. Now, you've recently published a paper in the journal Pastoral Care and Education where you discuss the study in detail. So on the issue of policies and procedures already in place at the schools involved, I found this quote from the paper really interesting. It says, some teachers suggested the problem was the policies themselves related more to older students, suggesting that JP, that's junior primary, educators had not been involved or consulted in the development of that policy. Um, so there were some problems there, firstly about a lack of awareness of policies and procedures, but also that lack of focus on early childhood and the primary years. Absolutely. Um, there was uh, one particular school that um, there were several educators that didn't know that they had a bullying policy and procedure. So that sort of indicates that um, it's not... A topic of conversation it's not shared teachers aren't being made aware of the, the uh, policy and procedure um, how to find how to access that and how to um, you know what, what they need to do in relation to policy and procedure we did find um, through interviewing teachers about this is uh, quite a lot of bullying incidents sort of got passed up the line so if there was an incident that a teacher thought might be bullying it then went to the school counsellor or the deputy principal it wasn't managed by the teacher um, and that was an, um, detrimental to some degree because teachers weren't learning about bullying they they didn't have a clear understanding themselves what bullying was how to define bullying and also um, how to manage that how to respond to that so that sort of 
implicated their understanding. They didn't have a need to have a look at the, uh, the bullying policy and procedure because it just got handed up the line. So therefore they weren't aware of that. And when uh, they looked at ARPA at all schools, when we were talking about um, what policies and procedures are in place within that context, they all looked up the bullying uh, policy and procedure within their context. Um, and that's when they sort of discovered that the language that was being used, the, the um, strategies and methods to respond to bullying weren't really very appropriate to early childhood. And it, it, this is where the gap lies and it, it lies within the education, like the formal education around bullying. It lies within the policies and procedures around bullying that, you know, the early childhood is largely um, excluded from all of that. And it's, you know, that, that becomes quite a, quite a problem um, when we're trying to educate around bullying. At the moment, um, early childhood um, teachers generally educate around social competence, um, being kind, um, rather than actually looking at bullying and helping children to understand what bullying is, um, you know, such as like looking at the, having an understanding of the three elements of bullying must be in place for it to be considered bullying. And some of the, the um, fallout from that, teachers were telling us that um, bullying was being overreported within their context uh, by children and by parents. And parents were trying to take things into their own hands. So they might have been confronting other parents in the schoolyard because they perceived that a particular child was bullying their child. And that again um, goes to a lack of understanding and knowledge on behalf of the parents as well. Yeah, and there were some other problems raised by the teachers that you worked with. Things like staff turnover had been an issue. Um, there was a lack of consistency there in how these things were dealt with. Parent aggression, you mentioned there. And just the impact it was having on their teaching time as well. Yes, teachers... Um reported that they were spending quite a significant amount of time um, you know, dealing with conflict and, and bullying incidents straight after recess and lunchtime. So that impacted on their time because they had to you know, discuss with children what, what had happened in this conflict or, um, to, and identify or decide whether they thought it was an incident that needed to be um, reported um, to a, a more management uh, positions such as uh, like behaviour management positions such as a school counsellor or a deputy principal. Um, so this was impacting quite heavily on their time and um, yeah, the, the lack of consistency, not all teachers, because of the lack of understanding amongst teachers, parents, children, um, some incidents were, were being reported and sent to um, as a school counsellor for example to be sorted or managed and others were not so it was it's again it's that lack of understanding um that impacts or, or contributes to the lack of consistency in how um incidents are responded to or managed we've touched on how lots of schools have social and emotional programs in place and three out of four of the schools in your study had those but none of the schools that you work with had a specific education program about bullying is that unusual then in your experience I don't think it is unusual. Schools always program to the needs of the children. 
to the needs of their context. So these schools were high risk schools that did require, um, you know, specific education on, um, you know, social and emotional um, education and well-being education. So schools were responding in that way. And I think one of the key issues in relation to bullying education is it's not in the formal curriculum as as an education topic. So it seems to get overlooked. And when you know we approached these schools to do this research, they were actually very excited um, because to, to be able to you know participate in this and develop um, educational an educational program for their school because it's it's few and far between. So I don't think it's unusual that schools don't have bullying programs, particularly in early childhood. I think bullying doesn't really get addressed until it's introduced in the curriculum, which is around about grade four. So one aspect of the researcher role in this collaboration was to map the programs that they came up with against the Australian curriculum and the early years learning framework. Why was this important for the teachers and the school leaders to be able to do this kind of mapping? It helped them to apply it to something. It is in the curriculum. We were able to um, map the the activities to the early learning years framework. We were able to map it to the Australian curriculum. So it supported the need um, for bullying to be taught and also um, how it fits into the curriculum. So therefore, when teachers are um, you know, developing resources and lesson plans, um, they, they are able to align it with with the formal curriculum. So I think that was that was very important for schools to be able to see or for teachers to be able to see um, how that uh, actually if it fitted in very well with the, the current curriculum that we have, um, despite the fact that bullying is largely absent, from, particularly from the early childhood curriculum. Mm. So the links are there. You've just got to actually look for them, I guess. In designing these context-based strategies and activities, then one of the schools involved the students, actually. They introduced the unit to them. They had a brainstorm of their ideas and they created a concept map. I want to share another quote from your journal paper. And this is from one of the participants. And they say, our JP teachers work together using a triangle diagram, strengths-based approach, tier intervention method, from whole school community, class, to individual and mapping of cards into topic order. As a group, we discussed what would be the best way to teach the students at our school, and together we came up with a series of lessons and resources to help us implement the unit. So it sounds like this co-design process really helped them pull all the different strands together to shape the end program. Absolutely. So looking at the um, the, the strengths-based approach, we, we do look at it from a community perspective and then to a, um, a group perspective and to an, a single perspective. So it helped them to have a look at um, the, the whole school um, prevalence and problem versus the class um, prevalence and problem versus the individual children. So it supported them in gathering all this information that they may not have actually thought about if they were trying to design a bullying program on their own. Um, so it, yeah, it, they, they really did um, enjoy it and it really did extend their thinking. So initially when they were talking about bullying and they, and they were talking about the prevalence and obviously um, at that point it's not actually researched within their school so it's all perception. Um, 
but they weren't thinking outside the box when they were thinking about you know trying to meet children's needs so when we did present them with those cards you know they they it really ignited a light bulb in their minds and they were really um you know throwing out some um excellent ideas in in relation to what they could teach and how this they could relate this back to bullying to support prevention and one of the things that teachers reported back to us afterwards um, when, when I was just thinking about the um, impact on teaching time, um, one school implemented a, a, a card system, a, a, like a, a, a system where if children had a, a conflict or a, a problem and they wanted to take it to, a, to the teacher and they thought it was bullying, they had to tick off on the card whether it, they, they thought that the conflict um, was intentional to, to hurt or harm another person or themselves, whether the, it was rep, um, that whether there was repetition there, whether it has been ongoing or it has occurred more than once, and whether um, there was a power differential, whether they felt like they couldn't respond or they didn't have support or that you know some that the other child was bigger or older, etc. So that that little card system actually um, one of the teachers reported back saved them an awful lot of time because if children had that conflict they would go over um, pick up the card and tick and if they weren't able to tick all three it wasn't classified a bullying incident so it also supported um, the, the response strategies as well. Uh-huh. So that's one of the activities they introduced. I wanted to really focus the main part of today's podcast on the co-design method rather than the individual responses because we've discussed how important it is to base programs on your own context, your own need. And the process itself actually is the heart of this study. But I do want to touch on what happened with the implementation. So how were these programs received? Well, the, the program was received very well by the teachers. They really enjoyed the process uh, and the, the collaboration. So they enjoyed having, I guess, the researchers expert knowledge to be able to guide them. They enjoyed working collaboratively with other educators or um, counsellors or um, deputy principals in some cases to be able to design a program within their context. They learned so many new skills in relation to how to think more broadly and you know to consider things that they may not have considered before. So looking at the um, you know, defining the problem, identifying um, who it impacts and, and when they sort of identified that it's not only impacting the children, it's also impacting them as teachers, it's impacting other children that may not even be involved in, in the incidents because of the time that it's taking up from their teaching. It's impacting the school, um, having to manage some of these issues and also parents um, with their inability to uh, understand what bullying is and and that also impacts on time if you've got parents that are you know re over reporting bullying incidents when children were uh, retested in relation to their understanding of bullying their knowledge of bullying had really improved so the teachers were really excited about that and they um, you know had you know built those skills to develop a program specific to the context of their school, but also the context of their class. So being able to identify what worked really well for them and their class, what didn't work so well, what they might need to change. So some of the things that um, reception teachers reported back specifically was looking at the language 
of the intent to harm repetition and power differential. So, you know, they were already thinking about how can we introduce this language in a more, you know, early, early childhood friendly way. So they were still going to introduce them to those, um, you know, formal definitions, but also, you know, think about how to help children you know, develop a, a really clear understanding of what these terms meant. Finally then, from this proof of concept study, it seems this co-design approach is something that could be transferred to other schools who want to tailor their own programs and meet their own community needs. Absolutely, I think this, this proof of concept study has actually um, you know, provided evidence that this is a very transferable, usable, accessible method and it can be used across all subject areas. So it's not specific to early childhood. It's not specific to bullying. It can be used across all, all subject areas. And it can also be used across all disciplines. It doesn't necessarily just need to be prevalent for educators. Um, one of the, the exciting things about this study um, that excited the teachers is the, the fact that they were able to develop a program that was tailored to meet the needs of the school context and their, their class and their children. So that was something that they were really quite excited about and can be transferred, obviously, to other schools. Um, teachers, the fact that teachers were empowered and took ownership of their program improved the effectiveness of that program. So we found that, um, you know, when we interviewed the teachers, they were you know, very um, positive about the whole process um, and also about the, the results that they received in relation to children's knowledge uh, being you know, very vastly improved. Um, and this is likely to um, make this program more sustainable because of, because of that ownership. They're likely to continue with this program, tweaking it, further developing it, um, in response to the context or the, the new cohorts of children that come in. Yeah, so as, as teachers learning skills that they'll use again in the future. Um, as I mentioned, I'll pop a link into the transcript of this podcast to the participatory design method we've been talking about today. And I'll also put a link in to the journal paper. And there's lots and lots of information in there about the workshop process, about interviews with the children, um, the issues raised by teachers and so on. So there's plenty more for listeners to dig into if they want to. Um, for now though, Dr. Leslie and I, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with teacher. Thank you very much for having me. That's all for this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are more than 170 episodes to binge on in our archive at teachermagazine.com.au, including more from our series on behaviour management, covering topics such as the effects of teacher praise and reprimands, and the importance of planning for positive behaviour. The teacher website's where you'll also find the transcript of this episode and some related articles. And finally, we'd love for you to rate or review the podcast in your podcast app and subscribe to the channel to ensure that new episodes land in your feed as soon as they're available.